Allison Norman is going to be bringing the word to us this morning, and uh, it's going to be great. So yeah, let's go ahead and give it up for Allison. One of the things that we firmly believe in here at this church is that God has equipped and empowered um, all of his people to serve and to build up the kingdom. And so one of the things that we're very committed to is trying to help us all discover what those gifts and what those passions are that reflect the genius of God in our own lives. The way he's designed us, the way that he has shaped us to lead and to serve in the kingdom and in his name. And one of the gifts uh, that we have seen emerging in the life of Allison uh, is this gift of speaking the truth and speaking the truth in a way that is grounded in scripture and in a way that cuts right to our hearts. And so that's what we're anticipating today. We know that the Holy Spirit is going to use her this morning to speak to us in that way. A little bit of background on Allison. Many of you already know her, but um, some of you know Allison around here as, as our friend who is starting the Made with Love Bakery, right? And um, Allison has this dream and this passion that is quickly becoming uh, reality, probably much faster than, than she thought was a possibility, of starting a transitional employment uh, bakery here in Chapel Hill. Um, and as an extension of what's happening at this church in a way of loving the community and of expressing God's creative love in our community. So we, we're, we love that. She bakes the communion bread for us that we share together um, when we do communion together. Um, a little bit more background on Allison. Uh, she served as a co-president of the Campus Y, which is the, whole, the hub of um, social justice on, on campus at UNC. And that is really reflecting of her heart. She has a heart for justice and for mercy. Um, but not just for that. It goes deeper than that. It's driven by a love for Jesus and by the way that Jesus has changed her own life. And the only way she knows how to respond to that love that's transformed her is to let it spill out of her into the lives of other people. Uh, so she fights for justice in our community in the name of Jesus. And I absolutely love that. And out of the heart of Jesus. Um, one more thing is that when Allison was a freshman at UNC, um, she made the statement to some of her friends uh, expressing where she was in her faith life that, you know, that she did not believe in God. And her exact words were, um, God is, is not for me. Is that right? Okay. God is just not for me. And here she is preaching to us this morning. So, yeah, watch out what you say. All right. It's great. Awesome. This is a beautiful, beautiful story and example of the way God can transform a life and um, the way God has a hold of our lives and is leading us right into what he has for us, um, as impossible as that may seem for us at the moment. So let's pray for Allison and be prepared for her to speak to our hearts this morning. God, I thank you for this friend. Uh, I thank you for this person that has been a source of truth for me to boldly speak the truth to me. And I'm excited um, that we're going to get to hear that as a community today as well. Thank you for the way that she stirs us up in this church um, to be mindful of people who are often on the margins. And thank you that those people are at the front of her minds, um, people that are often forgotten by others. We love that. We love that. We love the way that's a reflection of your heart. 
Um, so be with her this morning. I pray that she would just have a sense of confidence in you today, knowing that you've placed this on her heart, knowing that you have prepared this in her and that you are going to deliver this to us today. So let her be at peace and let her be at rest, um, even as she stirs us up today. See your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Apparently I've lost my place. as many of you may know that this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which marks the, um, the beginning of the Christian season of Lent. Heading into this, preparing for the sermon, all I really knew was that Lent was 40 days where people gave up something. Facebook, um, caffeine, dating, hating Duke. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it turns out that Lent has a really rich history. Um, from the earliest days of the church, we've celebrated Lent. It hasn't always taken on the 40 days um, that we know today, but we've always celebrated it. Um, the, the 40 days started uh, in the 4th century. Why 40 days? Um, well, it represents three miraculous fasts. Fasts of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Um, who represent the law, the prophets, and the fulfillment of the two. So it's no coincidence that all three of these individuals um, experienced these miraculous fasts. And they're miraculous because we can only go 30 days without food and only three days without water. And all three went 40 days and nights without food or water, sustained solely by the presence of God. Um, three common themes from these stories uh, Come out, come out of these stories. Um, that fasting was a means of experiencing God's presence. Um, God's presence then transformed all three individuals, and that transformation sent them out, calling them into action to serve God and to serve God's people. Given the importance of fasting in Lent and in the history of our faith, what does the Bible say about uh, about fasting? And so. This morning, we're going to look at Isaiah 58. Um, for those of you who'd like to, to follow along, go ahead and open up to it. Um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Um, but this first part, just 1 through 5. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? 
Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on, on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So throughout this passage, there's a lot of war imagery. Um, and, and it starts off right at the beginning, too. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Um, when I first heard trumpet, I thought jazz music, but that is not the case here. Um, in Isaiah's time, they would have heard trumpet and not associated it with celebration, but with a declaration of war. Um, oftentimes, uh, so before kind of war was declared, a trumpet would be sounded to mark that a king was declaring war on another nation. And this is just the case. Um, God is declaring war on evil and sin. He had called Israel from the beginning of time. God had been, has been fighting evil. Um, and he called Israel to be his soldiers on the front lines, um, to be a light in darkness, fighting evil and sin. But sin seduced God's people, seduce God's front lines. The very people who should have been fighting evil were sinning against one another, oppressing workers and hitting with a wicked fist. Israel became traitors to God. And in their audacity, Israel asked for justice while feigning holiness. With one hand, they, were, they would fast and tithe and sacrifice as if they were a nation that did righteousness. With the other hand, though, they would oppress their workers and quarrel and fight. They were hypocrites, asking for justice. But God saw what they were doing. God saw exactly who they were. He didn't give them justice because Israel was guilty. And in God's mercy, he sent Jesus to pay the price of, of Israel's sin. Jesus laid down his crown and then laid down his life. Uh, taking on Israel's punishment, even though they were enemies of God. And in his power, he picked back up his crown and picked back up his life, overcoming death and defeating sin, winning Israel back. It was like Israel, Israel was like this lantern. You see, uh, the lantern's purpose is to be a light in darkness, to shine in darkness. But it's too clouded. I mean, I don't know if you can really tell, but it's too clouded to let any light through. The lantern can't shine, and so it it's purposeless. And that's exactly what Israel was. They were hypocrites who were so darkened and clouded by sin that no light could shine through them. They were purposeless lanterns. And it's not an isolated event either. It's not just a bad egg in the generations of Israel. It continued happening over and over and over again. If we uh, flip ahead to Matthew 
chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, we see that Jesus is calling out the Pharisees for their fasting, um, for their hypocrisy. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see that that Jesus is calling out the Pharisees for being hypocrites, for putting on a show, for feigning holiness. And the same voice that's speaking in Isaiah is the same voice that's speaking through Jesus. It's the word of God saying the exact same thing. And the problem that existed in Israel continued on for the Pharisees um, and continues on to this day right here in the church. We should be loving our neighbors, not oppressing them. We're known not for love, hospitality, generosity, But the church has become known for our bigotry, our injustices, and our hatred. We are these people. We are Israel. We are the traitors. How frequently do we find ourselves going to church, small group, or reading our Bible just to check check a box off on our task list? The point isn't to intellectualize God. It's to experience God. As Matt said in in Awakening Grace, these practices are not the end, but the means of grace. Fasting has the same issue. Isaiah says, "Is, uh, Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? No. No. This was not God's purpose when he created fasting. It was created for good, but was perverted into something that wasn't. Be careful with false fasts. Are these things we do false fasts? Are we feigning holiness and turning a blind eye to the oppression that we perpetuate? Do you take notes on Sunday morning? That's great. But is the ink on Sunday bleeding all the way through to next Saturday? Are the things that you learn in here being applied to your life out there? God doesn't want our empty gestures. He wants us, all of us, our whole selves. So if if this is how not to fast, what does true fasting look like? And if we read on, we find out. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. 
If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you and will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Uh, So right off the bat, we see what true fasting is like. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. We're called to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God, as it says in Micah 6, 8. We're called to be lights in the darkness. But in order to be a light in the darkness, you must first go into darkness. A lantern does you no good if it's in a lit room. It must be in a dark area for it to truly shine its light. As Cornell West said recently when he came to campus, it is when night is darkest that we notice the stars, that they shine the brightest. So what does it mean to be a light in the darkness? Well, if we read on, we see. It is not to share, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Not to recon- is it not to reconcile with your own family? We, each of us is called, to do the, or is called to do these things. We're all called to do justice. All called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We read on to verse 9. We see it even more. Um. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, we need to stop saying mean and hurtful and cruel things. Stop pointing fingers and start taking responsibility. Stop oppressing people. We need to stop being slave drivers and start being chain breakers. This is a better form of fasting for sure. But we also need to be careful, just as careful with the first form of fasting. Because otherwise, become a, we, we become a second type of lantern. We might have a spark, and we might have clear glass, but without fuel, our light will never last. Um, a lantern that shines light, but doesn't shine for long, because it burns out without the fuel. And just like that, we become, we, we become like a sec, that second lantern. If we do justice but are not rooted in God, we cannot sustain it. It, You cannot sustain a life in darkness without God. We will either stop or become jaded, bitter, cynical. And what good does that to help us push back the forces of evil, overturning uh, the reaches of oppression and, and injustice in this world? What we need is a third type of lantern. A lantern 
with clear glass, fuel, and a spark. We need to let God's refining fire clear out the glass. Purify us. Clear out the shadow and the sin in our lives so that we might shine and be a light in the darkness. Smitty. Okay, we got a, our resident firefighter here, so my, my one goal this morning is not to burn down the varsity theater, because that would be bad. Um, so that's, that's been, everybody this morning has been saying, don't burn down the theater. So if that doesn't happen, I'm going to find this, I'm going to call this a success. we go. Hey. So like this third lantern, we shine in the darkness. What we find is that this lantern can shine in the darkness fully and clearly, casting out darkness inside and outside of the lantern. The fuel sustains it, much like, God's, much like God sustains us. In verse 11, we see, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. God does not fail us, and he will sustain us allowing us to be a light, his light in the darkness, to shine in the darkness. And his light will burst forth from us. And that refining fire will work through us and clear out the darkness within us. And when we do this, when we are a light, Isaiah, Isaiah tells us this happens. In verse 8, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And because Jesus overcame death and sin on the cross and through the resurrection, he is all of those things to us. He is our light, he is our healing, he is our righteousness, and he is our glory. Jesus is ahead of us, behind us, beside us, and within us. And through the Holy Spirit, he is making us more into his image, becoming more and more like Christ each day. 
And in verse 9, we see, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. The Lord is now answering our call. And generations earlier, the Lord came to Abraham before he stopped Isaac's sacrifice, saying, Abraham. And Abraham responded, Here I am. The Lord came to Jacob in a dream before wrestling him all night long, calling Jacob. And Jacob responded, Here I am. The Lord came to Moses in the form of a burning bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses responded, Here I am. The Lord came to Samuel, waking him from his sleep at night, calling Samuel. And Samuel responded, Here I am. The Lord said to David before Goliath, David, and David responded, here I am. And the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Isaiah, and Isaiah responded, here I am. Now we are the ones who are calling, and God is responding, here I am. Because he is in each of us, and through the Holy Spirit, creating us more in his image, calling us into his work. Through Christ, we become co-conspirators in bringing about the kingdom. God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And in a shocking turn of events, Jesus, the king who sacrificed himself for his enemies, sends the traitors to rejoin the fight. The traitors who, who, in the, who caused the breach in the first place became the repairs of the breach, the restorers of streets to dwell in. What kind of king is that? What kind of love is that? Who doesn't want to live for a king like that? So in this season of Lent, how will you be a lantern in the darkness? How will you let your light shine? Let God's light shine through you. Maybe you're in need of fuel. Maybe you're in need of some clear glass. Look at your life and, and look to see how you can be a light and a lantern in the darkness. So to end off this morning, I'm going to read off St. Uh, Francis's prayer. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in, give, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.